Good morning, everyone. Can you hear me? Is it loud enough? All right. It's um, really um, a privilege for me to stand up here again. It's been a while. Um, I taught Bible school recently, but I haven't been in the flesh in front of all of you for a long time, and I'm very thankful for, for this blessing. Um, you can open your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 1. Um, <clears throat> now, while you open there, I want to ask um, how many of you miss the, the Bible study hour that we used to have before our main services? At least there's one of you, okay. Well, Tani, for you, this will be a two-hour lesson. All right. So we'll cover both of those. I don't know if Pastor Mike also maybe raised his hand. <laughs> All right. Now, before we, before we get into our passage, which will be Jeremiah chapter 2, there are some valuable applications that I want to make from the context surrounding um, Jeremiah chapter 2 before we get into it, because when I read through it, 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 the Lord really showed me a few things, and I don't want to omit that this morning. Now, for those of you who don't know, Jeremiah was a prophet, um, uh, predominantly to, to Judah, and um, he was during the time bef- just before the exile um, of Judah to, to Babylon. And um, he prophesied um, mo- ma- mostly in the time of King Josiah. Um, and King Josiah was trying to get Israel or Judah back to serving and worshiping God the way God should be worshipped. However, not everyone was on board this reformation that King Josiah was trying to um, to achieve. And so when Josiah passed on, the nation fell right back into serving these gods of the other nations. Hence, that is why Jeremiah was called from a young age, because God knew that these people, I mean, he had quite a, quite a history up to this point already, and he knew that these people have hard hearts and they do not want to repent. And so as a young man, Jeremiah responded to the call to be a prophet. And um, Jeremiah prophesied to this nation. Now this nation, if you read through the book, you'll see, is a nation who served other gods, who went as far as to sacrifice their own children to these other gods. They would become completely adulterous and they would go to the temples to the prostitute temples as a form of worship. And these are the people that Jeremiah was ministering to. And this ministry grieved him. That is why he is often referred to as the weeping prophet. You can read about that. His book, um, the other book he wrote is the book of Lamentations. Now, a lament is to, is a cry, is, a, is to be remorseful um, or to be sorrow, have sorrow about something. And in, in Lamentations, chapter 3, I just want to read that to you. That's the very, book, very next book to the, to the right. Lamentations, chapter 3, and um, verse 48. Jeremiah is speaking, Lamentations 3, verse 48. Mine eye runneth down with rivers of water for the destruction of the daughter of my people. Mine eye trickleth down and ceaseth not without any intermission. He's constantly crying over these people. Because God's word came to him over 
and over again, and he saw God's heart towards these people, but he saw no fruit from the ministry he had to these people. But yet Jeremiah faithfully did what God called him to do. So my question to you is, if you haven't turned to God for forgiveness, if you haven't turned to God and you're putting it off like Judah was putting off, when are you going to make right with Him? When are you going to make right with Him? Because you need to answer while He's calling, because one day very soon, just like it was for Judah, it might be too late for you to respond to God's call. And to the Christian, how long has God's messengers been preaching to you to repent and to change and to take up your cross and to follow Him? How long does He still have to call you back into fellowship? But then to those who are faithfully serving the Lord, I want to point something out to you. Have a look at Jeremiah chapter 1. Jeremiah chapter 1 and verse 8. Now this is just after Jeremiah received the call to be a prophet. And God is telling Jeremiah in verse 8, He says, Be not afraid of their faces, for I am with thee to deliver thee, saith the Lord. Then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said unto me, Behold, I have put my words in thy mouth. Have a look at verse 17, chapter 1. It says, Thou therefore gird up thy loins, arise and speak unto them all that I command thee. Be not dismayed at their faces, lest I confound thee before them. For behold, I have made thee this day a defensed city, an iron pillar, uh, and brazen walls against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, against the princes thereof, against the priests thereof, and against the people of the land. What I want to tell you is that if God has called you to do something, He will also equip you. Jeremiah was called to be this prophet, yet God put the words in Jeremiah's mouth. God gave him the strength to minister to the people he needed to minister to. Because I can tell you, it must be an incredible difficult task to minister to people who are so far gone, yet they are God's chosen people. And you see God's heart towards these people, and these people don't want to hear a thing. In fact, they tried to kill Jeremiah on numerous occasions. So, if you're faithfully serving the Lord, God will equip you to do what He wants you to do. Now, that is a backdrop. I want to get into Jeremiah chapter 2. Um, but before we get into it, let's just pray together. Lord, I, I thank You for this, this morning. Lord, I, I thank You for Your Word that is um, open in front of us and that we can look forward to hear what You have to say to us this morning. Lord, um, Lord, I don't want to um, be in the way of your word reaching these people, Lord. Use me this morning um, to reach each heart this morning in the way that you um, would want them to be reached. And Father, I pray that you would um, send your spirit to, to, um, to fill our hearts, to open our ears. And Lord, that we might walk, might walk away from you, Lord, changed um, and better equipped to serve you in this life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Let's read in Jeremiah chapter 2 and verse 1. It says, Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Go and cry in the ears of Jerusalem, saying, Thus saith the Lord, I remember thee, the kindness of thy youth. 
the love of thine espousals, when thou wentest after me in the wilderness, in a land that was not sown. Israel was holiness unto the Lord, and the first fruits of his increase. And all, uh, all that devour him shall offend. Evil shall come upon them, saith the Lord. Hear the word of the Lord, O house of Jacob, and all the families of the house of Israel. Thus saith the Lord, What iniquity have your fathers found in me, that they are gone far from me, and have walked after vanity, and have become vain? Neither said they, Where is the Lord that brought us out of the land of Egypt, and led us through the wilderness, through a land of deserts and pits, through a land of drought and of the shadow of death? through a land that no man passed through and where no man dwelt. And I brought you into a plentiful country to eat the fruit thereof and the goodness thereof. But when you entered, you defiled my land and made mine heritage an abomination. The priest said not, Where is the Lord? And they that handled the law knew me not. The pastors also transgressed against me and the prophets prophesied by Baal and walked after the things that do not profit. Therefore I will yet plead with you, saith the Lord, and with your children's children will I plead. For pass over the isles of Chittim and see, and send unto Kedar, and consider diligently, and see if there be such a thing. Hath a nation changed their gods, which are yet no gods? But my people have changed their glory for that which do not profit. Be astonished, O ye heavens, at this, and be horribly afraid. Be ye very desolate, saith the Lord, for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed them out cisterns, broken cisterns, that hold no water. I get goosebumps. <laughs> when I read that and I think about the patience that God has had with this nation up until this point. These people were a people who God called, a people who God took through this valley of the shadow of death, a people who God gave His Word to. And this people... They were warned 800 years before this letter was written by Moses that if they do not keep the words of the Lord, they will not stay in the land which God has promised them. This is the people that Jeremiah is ministering to. Now, but in verse 1 and 2, there's something I want you to notice that's not directly mentioned in the text. And that, as I said, is God's heart towards Israel. Think about it. God calls a man, Jeremiah, from his birth, equips him, and uses him repeatedly to deliver a message of repentance and to give one more chance to this nation. He uses emotive words um, like we see go and cry in the ears. In verse um, 9 it says, I will plead with you. He likens Judah in verse to, to, in verse 3, to his, his, a wife of his youth, that young love, that, 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 that intimate relationship that was there in the beginning of Israel's walk with the Lord. And when he refers to Israel as that young wife, he is essentially saying 
don't you remember and long back to those days when we were so close? God repeatedly displays mercy to Israel. As I said earlier, 800 years before this, the prophet Isaiah, the prophet Hosea, the prophet Jeremiah, Moses spoke about it. God has been warning Israel about this day if they do not follow him with all their heart. So to say that God was unfair or that he was unloving in the way that he judged Judah is a gross misrepresentation of God's character. God is merciful and slow to anger. Psalm 103 verse 8 says, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. He will not always chide, neither will He keep His anger forever. He hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us for our iniquities. Do you know how many iniquities this nation did against God in the 800 years leading up to this? But God did not deal with them according to to their sins. God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Ezekiel 33, 11 says, Say unto them, As I live, saith the Lord, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn ye, turn ye from your evil ways, for why will ye die, O house of Israel? Do you see God's heart? This is not a I don't like them. I don't like what they did. I'm going to punish them. That is the furthest thing from the truth. And we also know today that God is love. And to us that love is ultimately displayed in our Savior Jesus Christ. We definitely know that because from um, John 3.16, God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. That is love. It is giving that gift of salvation. And God commends not His love towards us while we are sinners. God commends His love towards us while we were yet sinners. It was in that sinful state that God showed His love. So if you struggle with this idea of God's judgment of mankind, remember His heart towards Israel, His mercy, His patience, and how He pleaded with them. Now in verse 2, I want to pause at something that it says at the end of the verse, it says, And wentest after me in the wilderness in a land that was not sown. You see, there used to be mutual love even when there was no physical benefits in a land that was not sown. But with the temporal blessings that came, when God gave them their land, that land that overflows with milk and honey, that is when Israel's downfall also came. We saw that in verse 7. It says, um, And I brought thee into a plentiful country to eat the fruit thereof and the goodness thereof. But when ye entered, ye defiled my land and made my heritage an abomination. You know, we are often closest to the Lord when we are furthest from the things and the pleasures of this world. Moses warned the people of this very thing. Keep your place. Have a look at Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6. We are often closest to the Lord when we are furthest from the things of this world. Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 10. 
It says in verse 10, And it shall be when the Lord thy God shall have brought thee into the land which he sware unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give thee great and goodly cities which thou buildest not, and houses full of good things which thou fillest not, and wells digged which thou diggest not, and vineyards and olive trees which thou plantest not. When thou shalt have eaten and be full, then beware lest thou forget the Lord which brought thee out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. You see that when thou have eaten and be full, beware lest thou forget the Lord. Tozer also spoke about this in this book, The Pursuit of God. And I want to read a passage to you. And this chapter is called The Blessedness of Possessing Nothing. And when I picked up this book for the first time and I read that title of the chapter, I thought, I think I'll skip this one and I'll continue to the next one because I know what this is going to be about. But Tozer writes here, Our woes began when God was forced out of his central shrine and things were allowed to enter. Within the humid heart, things have taken over. Men have now by nature no peace within their hearts, for God is crowned there no longer. But there, is, but there in the moral, du- moral dusk, stubborn and aggressive usurpers fight among themselves for first place on the throne. This is not a mere metaphor, but an accurate analysis of our real spiritual trouble. There is within the human heart a tough, fibrous root of fallen life whose nature is to possess, always to possess. It covets things with a deep and fierce passion. The, pronoun, um, the, the pronouns my and mine look innocent enough in print, but their constant and universal use is significant. They express the real nature of the old Adamic man better than a thousand volumes of theology could do. They are verbal symptoms of our deep disease. The roots of our hearts have grown down into things, and we dare not pull up one rootlet lest we die. Things have become necessary to us, a development never originally intended. God's gifts now take the place of God, and the whole course of nature is upset by the monstrous substitution. This monstrous substitution of we placing God's things above God. So beware of this pursuit of things and pleasures. This desire doesn't go away with age. The only thing that changes is the thing that you desire. And so you always need to guard against this. Bring your heart back to the only pursuit that leads to actual fulfillment and meaning, the pursuit of an eternal, great, and holy God. All right, Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 3. It says, Israel was holiness unto the Lord, and the firstfruits of his increase. All that devour him shall offend, even uh, evil shall come upon them, saith the Lord. You know, God cherished his wife. She was separate. She was holy. He cared deeply, and he protected her against all evil. This is the way that every man should feel about his wife, the way God loved Israel, and the way Christ loves the church. But despite this love, this love that God had towards Israel, they still committed adultery. 
in verse 20 of this chapter, you can see how God calls them a harlot, how they've been playing the harlot. So the same, the same happens and is happening to many churches today. We take the things of God and, and God for granted. We toy with God. Do not let this be the case for you in your own walk with Him. Give ear to His word. And while He calls, respond. That's why it says in verse 4, Hear ye the word of the Lord. Hear ye the word of the Lord. So now, after dealing with this beginning, this blessed beginning of Israel, um, God moves on to verse 5 and onward, and there He's going to speak about what led to this downfall of Israel. This, and I think what is summarized in this, this section is they, there was a lack of transferred knowledge. Now when I say transferred knowledge, it means that leaders were not transferring what God had said to the people. There was a lack of transferred knowledge of God combined with temporal prosperity. And that combination led to this nation's downfall. Hosea chapter 4 verse 6 says, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because thou hast rejected, because thou hast rejected knowledge, I will also reject thee. That thou shalt be no priest to me, seeing that thou hast forgotten the law of God, I will also forget thy children. As they were increased, so they sinned against me. Therefore will I change their glory into shame. As they increased, so they sinned against me once again. That increase, that transfer of focus, and that um, transferring your focus to the things of the world and not the things of God led to their downfall. Now in verse 5 and 6, this is where God asks a series of questions. Where he says, what iniquity have your fathers found in me? Verse 5. That they are gone far from me and have walked after vanity and become vain. Neither said they, where is the Lord that brought us up of the la- out of the land of Egypt? That led us through the wilderness, through a land of deserts and of pits, through a land of drought and, and, through, the shadow, and through the shadow of death. Through a land that no man passed through and there and where no man dwelt. So the question is, is God to blame for Israel's, Israel's adultery? That's the question he asks. What injury have your fathers found in me that day? The question is, is God to blame for this adultery? Their departure from truth? It most certainly is not. It was due to the failure of the previous generation's leaders to seek after God and to educate the current generation. More specifically, the leader of each home, the father. That's what God is calling out. He say, where were these fathers? What did they find in me that they did not pursue after me? We know earlier we, re- we read in Deuteronomy chapter 6 about that, that warning um, about, let me just make a note, sorry, I realized. You have a paper in front of you with things that you need to fill in. That's not going to be relevant until the end of the sermon, so don't get anxious about not knowing what to write there. All right. <laughs> in Deuteronomy chapter 6, we read earlier about how when they increased, beware that when you increase that you do not forsake the Lord. And just later on in that chapter, a few verses on, it says, And when thy son asketh thee 
in the time to come, saying, What mean the testimonies and the statutes and the judgments which the Lord our God hath commanded you? Then thou shalt say unto thy son. Do you see how a father or a parent who follows God, who follows the statutes, the judgments of the Lord, the testimonies of the Lord, a father who doesn't follow that, his son won't come to him and ask him about that because his father is not following that. So it starts with that father, that house, that, that, that small circle that follows God. And when that question comes up, then the children can learn. And that's why I'm speaking about this lack of transferred knowledge of God because the fathers forsook God. And God is saying, why? What did I do that you forsook me? What have I done or not done that makes you rather pursue vanity than value? When was the last time you sought me and meditated on all I've done for you? That is essentially the question that God is asking in verse 5 and verse 6. So, fathers, future fathers, future parents, I don't believe there is a need for me to drive this point home any further. But God forbid that we be a part of the reason that our children forsake the Lord. But may God use us and help us rather to bring them closer to Him. Now something else that really caught my attention in this section was the phrase at the end of verse 5 that says, Walked after vanity and became vain. Walked after vanity and became vain. They became what they pursued. Worthless. The things they pursued were worthless things. And at the end, they themselves became worthless. Will your life one day be filled with emptiness because of the empty and temporal pursuits? Or will they be filled with treasures laid up in heaven? I pray that the Lord would open our our eyes to the vanity of the things that we pursue every day. All right, verse 7. And I brought you into a plentiful country to eat the fruit thereof and the goodness thereof. But when ye entered, ye defiled my land and made mine heritage an abomination. Now I've pointed out this verse earlier and how our pursuit of temporal things affects our pursuit of God. But notice something else in verse 5 through 7 that Israel's lack of remembrance led to their unthankfulness. Israel's lack of remembrance, their fathers didn't ask, their fathers didn't think back, the, parents did, oh, the children didn't ask the parents about the, their lack of remembrance of what God has done for them, how God has brought them through these things, led to their unthankfulness. We need to take heed to this because we're so often caught up in this life that's going on around us that we just keep going, we keep going, we keep going, we never stop to think. We, don't, we just read God's Word, we don't meditate on God's word. We pray rushed prayers and we don't wait on him. We plan so far ahead but we never think back about where God has brought us from. We need to stop. We need to wait. We need to think and we need to remember what God has done for us. And if you do this, your heart will soon be filled with thankfulness. And I can personally testify of this. You know, recently I changed jobs and I 
I have a lot of time to spend on the road these days. And that time is such great time to just stop and to think, not stop physically, I'm still driving, but to just <laughs> stop and think about what God has done for me, my family, where he's brought me from, and where I am today. I praise God so much for that. We need to not get caught up so much in this world. Let's meditate, let's think, let's stop, and let's remember. All right, verse 8, it says, The priest said not, Where is the Lord? And they that handle the law knew me not. The pastors also transgressed against me, and the prophets prophesied by Baal, and they walked after things that do not profit. You see, now the leadership focus moves from the fathers, and it moves to a greater source of leadership, to the positions of higher authority. It moves to Israel's leaders. It starts with the priests. The priests were those whose role it was to intercede on behalf of the nation and draw nigh to the Lord and to seek Him. But what does it say about them? They did not say, where is the Lord? In other words, they did not even seek after God. How are they to intercede? How are they supposed to draw nigh to God? The next group we read about is those who handled the law, knew me not. Those who were taught and those who were supposed to equip the people themselves, they were not equipped. They had forsaken. You know, before this, Jeremiah's father's name is Hilkiah. Now, he was the priest in the day of King Josiah. And he found a lost copy of the book of the law of God. Do you know what it means if you are scrummaging around stuff, looking for something else, and you come across an old scroll? It means that you did not know. You did not care. You did not think about that thing. It was accidental. And that is the people who were supposed to know, the people who were supposed to equip the people, they themselves did not even know of that scroll. The next group, it says, the pastors also transgressed against me. Um, the pastors were those who were to shepherd the people. They forsook their office. You can read through the book of Jeremiah how they don't care for the widows, how they don't do these things, these, this, this, the care of the, the, the needs of the people, the physical needs of the people. These were also completely neglected. And then you have the prophets. The prophets prophesied by Baal and walked after things that do not profit. Those who were supposed to exhort, rebuke, and encourage spoke vanity. In other words, they spoke things which do not profit. In verse 11, you'll see this phrase, do not profit, as, again. In verse 11, it says, Have a nation changed their gods, which are yet no gods. But my people have changed their glory for that which do not profit. You see, these things which do not profit were other gods and idols. And the prophets who were supposed to lead the people in the ways of the Lord, the things that God held high, they followed other gods. And these things do not profit. So beware of these types of leaders, because they are certainly still around today. And um, they have no desire to create true disciples of Jesus Christ. Be around people and under the leadership of people who call the goodness of God to remembrance 
and love the word of the Lord. You see, they call these things to remembrance and they love the word of the Lord. Make sure you're under leadership like that. In verse 9, Therefore, I will plead with you, saith the Lord, and with your children's children will I plead. I read this verse and it feels almost like it shouldn't say wherefore. Or like it, shouldn't, it shouldn't continue from the previous thought in that these people have completely left God. They've apostatized right through the house to the children, to the leaders. And God says, I will plead. I will plead with these people. God pleads individually. You see, we read about the father, we read about the leadership. But now God says to the children and to the children's children, just because the nation and the leaders are fallen away from God, God does not forget to reach out to those individuals who still have to make their own decision. And so as much as it, yes, it is an advantage if you grew up in a godly home, and praise God for that, but don't use the fact that you didn't as a reason not to follow God. Because God is not willing that any should perish. And no sin is too great for him to forgive. And no sinner is too far for him to find. And that's why he goes to the children and the children's children and pleads with them as well. Now in verse 10, we're going to read verse 10 and 11. It says, For pass over to the isles of Chittim and see, and send to Gadar and consider diligently, and see if there be such a thing. Hath a nation changed their gods, which were yet no gods, but my people have changed their glory for that which do not profit. He's saying, look to the east and look to the west. Chittim was Cyprus, and then you have Gadar, which was Arabia side. And he says, look to the east and look to the west, and consider diligently what you see. You see two very different people groups. And two very different approaches to religion. Yet both only offer temporal happiness and fulfillment. It doesn't matter what approach you take. Whether you take the spiritualistic type of approach of the East. Whether you take the civilized approach of the West. Where you hold yourself to some moral standard. It doesn't matter what, which one of those two you fall into. You still only have temporal happiness and fulfillment. Nothing they pursue offers life or things of eternal value, value because their gods are dead and temporal. Yet despised, despite these people's dead gods and empty pursuits, they are still faithful to them. It says in verse 11, Hath a nation changed their gods, which are yet no gods? So he's saying these are not even gods, yet these people serve them faithfully. These things have no eternal value, yet these people serve them faithfully. And he says, whereas the Israelites, you know better. In verse 11 it says, but my people have changed their glory into something that does not profit. You have, you have something that the other people don't have. You know better. You have a living God and an eternal pursuit. But yet you have forsaken. You have not been faithful. How does that make sense? It doesn't. That's why verse 12 says, Be astonished. Be astonished, O ye heavens, at this. 
and be horribly afraid. Be very desolate, saith the Lord. I wonder how true this is of us sometimes. I wonder if the heavens aren't also astonished when they look at the mediocrity of some of our lives and of the church today. You know, we have the inspired word of God readily available with as many additional resources as we want. We have access to more preaching than ever before. We have a community of believers around us. We have history, those faithful cloud, that cl- faithful cloud of witnesses. We have the Holy Spirit living in us and guiding us. We have an eternal hope that never fades. Yet, we still often find ourselves seeking value, belonging, hope in the things of this world. How does that make sense? It doesn't. <clears throat> Perhaps if we look at ourselves through heaven's eyes, we might be astonished to find that we serve our lusts more faithfully than our Lord. God help us. Verse 13. <clears throat> it says, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed them out cisterns, broken cisterns, that can hold no water. After dealing with so many issues, and many more in the rest of the book, the Lord decides to bring it to these two wrongs. He says, one, you have forsaken the fountain of living waters, and two, you have hewed out broken cisterns. Now, living water is, back in the day, is a natural spring that brings forth revitalizing cool and fresh water. You know, this was in a day when there weren't pumps, there weren't pipelines, there weren't all these things. And so a natural spring of water was something that was rare, something that was beautiful, and something that people cherished. But Judah forsook this in a time when flowing water was a commodity. And they rather hewed them out broken cisterns, man-made limestone reservoirs. These only held water temporarily. The water's taste changed when it was in there for too long. And the older they got, the more they leaked. What a picture of what happened to Israel. They started at the fountain and ended up dry, broken cisterns, full of emptiness and worthless. Don't let this be your end. Stay close to the fountain so that you may never thirst again. And that's exactly what Jesus said in John chapter 4. The water which I give you to drink, if you have of this water, you will never thirst again. Because as long as you are hewing away at your cistern, it's going to be filled with water. And then even the water that you drink from that, you thought it would satisfy, but it's not going to satisfy. It will temporarily satisfy. And the more you pursue those things, the older you get, the more you realize everything I pursued was vanity throughout my whole life. And now my cistern is running dry because the holes and the cracks are getting worse. So essentially, now that I've reached the end of the lesson, you can take out your papers. And we're going to 
run through a few points almost in summary of what we've looked at. Now, in verses 1 to 4, we're going to compare the way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof is death. And the way that seems right to a man is Judah's road. But I want to encourage us to be on the road that Jeremiah took. Now, Judah's road, point number one, starts with God. It starts with God. We saw that. God likens the relationship, this mutual love between him and his nation, and um, how there was love in the, right in the beginning. And you know, I've often heard many Christians speak that way of their relationship with God as well. They use words like, I used to. When I was younger, I had a real encounter with God at this youth camp. But what happened since? What happened since? The way that seems right has the right start. right? But then, point number two, it strays from God. It strays from God. This we saw in chapters, uh, in verse 5 to 8, how Israel started to, to stray from God. In this, um, and this happened due to a lack of leadership and vain pursuits of the people. They failed to remember their undeserving and humble beginning and how utterly dependent they have been and still are on God. And as they stray, they fail to see it because they remain religious. They stray and they fail to see it because they remain religious. Have a look at verse 23. God accuses Israel and says, How canst thou say, I am not polluted? I have not gone after Balaam. How can you say that? Have a look at verse 35. It says, Yet thou sayest, Because I am innocent, surely his anger shall turn from me. How shocking is that? These people have strayed away from God so far, yet because they remain religious, because you, in, in chapter 7 you read about how they speak about the temple. Oh, the temple, the temple, the temple. And Jeremiah accuses them of what hypocrisy they are involved in. So they think they are still in line with God, yet they have strayed from Him. Beware of empty religion. Point number three. We saw this towards the end of the section that we studied. And this is a setting aside. Setting aside of God. Or, as the Bible says in verse 13, forsaken. Forsaken. But I, str- I try to alliterate. So, setting aside. So this way that seems right starts with God, but then it strays from God. But often you don't even see your straying because you remain religious. But ultimately, it results in the setting aside of God. Because they forsook the Lord and sought to establish their own righteousness and seek after vanity, they ultimately became idolaters. They had become so used to, to this state that they didn't realize how far they had fallen. And this is the end of the way 
that seems right. An empty, broken cistern, worthless. Or as Jesus said in Revelation 3.17, Because thou said, I am rich, and increased with goods, I have need of nothing. Thou knowest not that thou art wretched, and miserable, and poor, and blind, and naked. Please, do not let this be your end. Do not be deceived by the riches and the allurements of this world. Set your affection firmly on things above, like Jeremiah did. And that's why we're going to have a look at Jeremiah's road briefly. Now, Jeremiah's road also starts with God. It also starts with God. We can have a look at that. So that's point number one. Jeremiah's road starts with God. Jeremiah chapter 1 and verse 4. It says, Then the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee, and I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. And his very first sermon that he preached in chapter 2, he starts off by saying, Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me. That's how he started. Jeremiah's walk also started with God. But what is the point number two? Point number two is Jeremiah seeks after God. He seeks after God. You can turn to Lamentations chapter 3, where we were earlier. Next book to the right, Lamentation chapter 3. And verse 21, it says, now in this chapter he speaks about just how he says in verse 1, I am a man that hath seen affliction by the rod of his wrath. You see, he has been through, he has seen, he is crying out, he is concerned, he is full of sorrow. But then he says in verse 21, This I recall to mind, therefore have I hope. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. Therefore, oh, because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning, great is his faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, saith my soul. Therefore will I hope in him. The Lord is good unto them that wait for him and the soul that seeketh him. Do you see how, how he waits on the Lord and how he seeks after the Lord? And that is where Jeremiah finds hope in a time when there is no hope. And that is how you will find hope in a time when there seems to be very little hope and things seem to be falling apart around you. Your hope is built on nothing else but Jesus' blood and righteousness. All right, and then the last point of Jeremiah's walk or his way is he stays with God. He stays with God. In Jeremiah chapter 26, this is only one of the occasions where Jeremiah gets, could I say, confronted or attacked for what he is saying. But I like, would like for us to look at his response to this attack on him. Jeremiah 26 and verse 10. It says, And when the princes of Judah heard these things, now these are the things that Jeremiah have been saying before, then they came up from the king's house unto the house of the Lord, and sat down in the entry of the new gate of the Lord's house. Then spake the priests and the prophets unto the princes and to all the people, saying, This man is worthy to die, for he hath prophesied against the city 
as ye have heard with your ears. Now listen to what Jeremiah says. Then spake Jeremiah unto all the princes and to all the people, saying, The Lord sent me to prophesy against this house and against this city all the words which, that you have heard. Therefore, now amend your ways and your doings and obey the voice of the Lord your God. And the Lord will repent him of the evil that he hath pronounced against you. As for me, behold, I am in your hand. Do with me as seemeth good and meet to you. It makes me think of what the apostles also said in Acts chapter 4. When they said, Peter and John answered and said unto them, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you, more than unto God, judge ye. For we cannot but speak the things which we have heard. Do you see they stay with God irrespective of what is expected of them, irrespective of whatever onslaught comes their way, because they know for sure what they have been called to do. They are confident in the one who saved them. And so Jeremiah was confident in the one who called him, and therefore he stayed with God. So the way that seems right starts with God, but then it strays from God, and then ultimately it sets God aside. But the way that seems wrong to the common man, but ultimately is right in the sight of God, is the road that starts with God seeks after God and stays with God. So the challenge to all of us today is the one that Joshua presented to the Israelites back, almost I want to say, where they began. And it says in Joshua 24 verse 15, And if it seem evil to you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your fathers, um, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So the question is, how will your story end? <clears throat> will it end with you ultimately giving your life to a pursuit of vanity and standing one day with emptiness before the God who created you and he care, who cares for you? Or will it stand in glory where you will rejoice with the angels, where, where you will rejoice with God and have treasures laid up in heaven to enjoy and to enjoy the presence of the Lord forever? And ultimately, those are the ways that we have a choice to live in. So choose you this day whom you will serve. Amen. All right, you can have, please stand up. <coughs> Heads bowed. All right, folks, as we normally do, just take just a few moments, your heads bowed and your eyes closed. If you would, please, heads bowed and eyes closed. Sean's going to play something quietly for us. I'd love for you to take a few moments to reflect on what you've heard. Judah considered Jeremiah as the enemy. Jeremiah simply stood up and said, Here's what God said. Hear ye the word of the Lord. And because their lives did not match up with the Bible, 
They took it as a personal attack, as if Jeremiah was against them. Nothing could be farther from the truth. He was trying to help. They responded with, this is how we've always done it. It seems right to us. We have prophets, we have priests that will tell us that what we're doing is right. But it didn't match the Word of God. Paul said it like this, Am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? That's what he told the Galatians. I'll urge you to do what Garrett has already asked you to do. I believe what Jeremiah asked those Jews to do. Take a look at what you're doing. Compare it with the word of the Lord. Not with popular public opinion, not with how some other church allows it to be done, not with what feels right. Compare it with the Word of God. Am I doing it God's way or my way? It starts with God, then you need to seek after God. And when it gets tough, and it will, when you're doing it God's way, it will. You stay with God. How about you, friend? Are you 100% sure today that you're on your way to heaven? Do you know that you have a personal relationship with God? Are you born again? Say, preacher, I, I feel like things are right between me and God. We need more than that. Jesus said the only way to the Father is through me. There must be an acceptance of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross as the payment for your sins. You, you have to personally recognize your need for that. You can't make up your own way to God. So it seems right. There is a way that seems right unto a man. The end thereof are the ways of death. Have you strayed? Maybe you started off good and you strayed. Are you in danger of setting God aside in the pursuit of what makes you comfortable? Father, thank you for challenging our hearts today. God, you've spoken to my heart. Thank you for this admonition, this reminder. It's one thing to start in the right place but wow what a what a wonderful way to think of this it start they both started right but father they ended up in two very different places the the Jews and Jeremiah we sang it lord prone to wander we feel it prone to leave the god i love so lord our prayer today is a church and i i th i hope that i pray this on everybody's behalf Here's our heart, Lord. Take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Help us, Lord, to do it your way. Thank you for the patient and gentle reminders that you constantly give us. Thank you for reminding us this morning of how good you've been. Thank you for sending your Son to die for us. Please, Lord, let the words that we've heard sink deep into the hearts. Don't let the fowls of the air snatch the seeds away.
let these thoughts today ring in our hearts throughout the afternoon, throughout the week. Let it bring forth fruit unto you. Thank you, God, for spending time with us this morning. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.